For part two of our fourth interview, Dr. Rebecca Flick chats with Dr. Togas Talandi. Sit back, grab a cup of coffee, and enjoy what we think are valuable lessons about our history, sparking innovation, and newer surgical applications of reproductive surgery. Looking back over your career, what's what's the biggest shock or the biggest surprise that you've encountered? Well, I guess uh, when I was 39, I remember very well because it was just after my birthday, um, the chair of the department at that time was Dr. Brian Little, uh, called me up. He said, the Senate of McGill has just uh, agreed to make you a full professor with tenure. And, and I said, oh, thank you very much, sir. And he said, look, did you hear me well? It was a full professor with tenure. So I said, look, oh, okay. He said, look, do you, do you understand what tenure is? So at, at that time I said, look, I think it, it's a nice, uh, nice title. He said, look, you cannot be kicked out from, from McGill. So that's good. <laughs> and that was, a, I think it's a very nice surprise. Yeah. How long have you had that position? Uh, well, I guess over 30 years. Yeah. Wow. As so much more of REI is privatized and moving out of the academic setting, what do you see as the role of the academic REI in the future? Well, we man we managed to maintain uh, our our ART uh, academically. It's actually it's, it's not quite in a hospital, but it's in the building outside the hospital. But it's academic. I think we still need it. Uh, this is how we train our future REI specialists. Uh, and also, I think we train them not just to become specialists, but I think we train them uh, to be ethical. Integrity is there. Uh, and if they make a decision, it should be more medical decision rather than business decision. I think this is... Uh, important and also we, we we teach them how to do research and I'm very uh, concerned about ethics in publishing. We wrote the two papers on ethics on publishing, one in a, a RBM online and recently in a, a Canadian journal. Uh, they have to follow ethics in publishing, they have to follow authorship, uh, it's not just uh, writing a paper. What a great so I think that we, we, we need an academic medicine also for REI. Yeah, I think that's certainly a challenge right now. As you kind of think to your, your last several decades there, I mean, how many countless learners and students and residents and fellows you've trained, what do you want your legacy to be? Like, what is a Tulandi fellow um, have as kind of their stamp of coming through with your training? Well, I guess legacy is uh, personal. And I'm, I'm, I'm proud because um, a lot of our trainees, they are now in good position, either in private sectors or 
in ac academically. We train a lot of uh, uh, trainees from Middle East and also uh, some in Israel and some of them in the States, of course. Uh, a lot of them became, one became the chair of the department, another one became the chief of uh, the division. Uh, so I, I'm proud if they, they do well. If they can do better than me, it's even better. <laughs> it's hard to do. It's hard to do. Yeah. Can you think back on any time in your career where you've really stumbled or encountered a failure that, that shaped things for you? I'm not, I'm not sure whether I, I will call it failure, but on several occasions, I was uh, lured to, to go to the States because my family are in the States. Um, the last one is in Tampa, asked me to, to look at the job. It was in, it, before with Chicago, San Francisco. Uh, you know, for some reason, uh, because my wife is, um, has her work here, the kids didn't want to move, friends are all here. So I'd never gone back to the States. So I'm sitting in Canada freezing my butt. <laughs> I don't know that I could say Cleveland is much better, although we're having some nice weather today. Thinking about Canada versus the U.S., how, how are things in reproductive medicine different there? I think it's the, the reproductive medicine, a lot of private sectors now. So the difference might not much. Patients are paying a bit more. Academically, uh, that's why I didn't move to the States too. In, acad in academia, the payment for the the person in academia is almost the same, mm. the state or in Canada. So uh, money is not the most important. I think if you're happy, that's what you want. How do you stay on top of everything? I guess that's one of my challenges as a new division director. You know, you have clinical responsibilities, you have administrative responsibilities, research, training. How, how do you stay on top of it all and stay current with all of the evolution in our field? How do you do it? Well, I'm lucky because I'm also the, the editor-in-chief of, uh, of a journal. So all the papers uh, that come to the journal, whether you want it or not, I have to read them. <laughs> Right. I read the papers, and also I, um, I'm an associate editor for a couple of journals, and that's what uh, I, have, I have to read the paper carefully as well. Uh, and I'm reviewers for other paper for other journals, and we read papers, and we have journal club. We, we have journal club every week with REI. Uh, we have a grand rounds, um, and I have to be there because I'm a chair. So it, this is, you, you have to, that, that's also good in academia. Um, you're not as rusty as people outside very fast. Actually, you, you get rusty very fast. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think teaching Having, is one of the best ways that we learn and, and reviewing and being active in research and a good consumer of research. Yeah, having trainees is great. It make make you up to date. Uh, just yeah. keep on your toes. Yeah. yeah. 
So Steve and I were talking about this. I mean, what would you say to somebody who says, you know, reproductive surgery is dead? Um, you know, there, there's nothing in the future. It's done. We're all IVF now. I don't think it's dead. Depend how you look at it. Um, so I think I think it's it's true in repair of hydrosol things. Maybe it's true. Um, tubal anastomosis maybe half true because we are still doing it. But we do things uh, to preserve fertility now. Uh, we do ovarian transposition, and we do quite a bit here uh, to preserve fertility in young females with cancer. Uh, we do salpingectomy before IVF. Uh, we do ovarian cystectomy. Uh, depends how you want to label it, but tubal surgery itself maybe uh, it's it's the the place of tubal surgery is less and less. And what do you think about the sort of burgeoning field of reproductive transplantation? So ovarian tissue freezing and transplantation or even uterus transplantation? Well, uterus transplantation, uh, I think is still far, um, but certainly ovarian tissue cryopreservation and transplantation, uh, we are doing it. We have been doing it for a while, like in fact, uh, maybe over I don't know, over 20 years ago, we have been doing, uh, we have been freezing over in tissue. We, we have transplanted only in two patients, uh, one of them patient with endometriosis, not for fertility, but uh, interestingly, she had her period for a few years after. What was the longevity of the graft? Uh, depends how much uh, tissue you put it in. Uh, because in, in that case, we, we, we try to save some tissue uh, because the tissue have to be cut in pieces and transferred back to her. In that patient, I think she, she had period only for a year. Yeah, it seems like usually about three to four years um, at the most, mm -hmm. and then it kind of burns out. Um, so you were not doing it for future fertility. It was more for hormonal supplementation. Well, we did one, we, you know, we, we, we did in one patient, um, she was just, uh, didn't want to accept. She was young, actually. She's only 25. She had Turner syndrome. Um, she didn't want to accept that uh, she could get pregnant with a donor egg. She, she, she begged to do everything we can. Um, so we... She has to sign a consent form. It's a long, like, like everybody else, a couple of pages consent form saying that this is not research, but this is uh, for innovation. Uh, the ethics committee allowed me just to do that patient. So we cryopreserve the, actually, no, we, we, yeah, we cryopreserve the ovarian tissue. We also uh, treated the ovary outside the body uh, with growth factors, this and that, because there was some evidence that if you if you just cut the ovarian tissue, you're doing mechanical stimulation to the ovarian tissue. So we did we did that and cut it in pieces and put it in a medium with growth factors and all sorts of things. Uh, wait for an hour, transfer her, transfer it back to the patient. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. Yeah. Oh, it's interesting. I mean, I think we, we have to try on the road to progress. But there was there were some people, that, I think the Korean has done that uh, in women with premature ovarian failure. Yeah. 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 
I mean, what else do you think is on the cutting edge in our field? What's the next wave going to be? What should we be looking to? Unfortunately, is I don't know. Unfortunately, or fortunately, I think it's everything IVF now. Yeah. And hopefully, they can help women with low ovarian reserve. I'm more interested in uh, young females with cancer. Uh, yeah. It's uh, if we can help them, I think that that would be just great. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's one of the most rewarding parts about what we do. But I I do think the final frontier is figuring out how to fix low reserve and egg quality. Um, I think that's a fascinating part for us all to focus on next. You know, in closing, I'd just be curious if you had any additional comments or, you know, certainly when we talk about it, we think reproductive surgery is alive and well. I think our future is bright and there are many in the field that are interested, um, you know, what sorts of closing commentaries would you have just having seen, you know, the arc of the last 30 years? I think I, I just want to thank you for interviewing me. <laughs> nothing, nothing else to say. Uh, I think you asked me everything. Well, we want to thank you for your contributions. I mean, I hope that you know that your legacy and the legacy of your legacy goes on. And um, honestly, it, it's my pleasure to be interviewing you. And um, and I'm humbled to be able to be here with you and ask these questions. I just want to tell, maybe I just want to tell the learners, uh, because they keep asking me, what shall we do? I think they have to do whatever they enjoy doing it, either in academia or private. If they enjoy what they are doing, I think they will do a good job. If they are miserable, they won't do a good job. So I think that's the only thing I can tell. Oh, thank you so much for your time. I I so enjoyed this. I hope you did too. And Steve, I don't know if you were listening or not, but um, we loved having you here. Steve, do you have any questions for Dr. Tulandi? No, Togus, thank you so much for uh, participating in this. Uh, It was really uh, an innovative idea for us to... uh, um, take uh, the thought leaders, our, our heroes uh, in the field. When we, uh, we look at what we do, we think to ourselves, uh, how did we ever get here? If we wanted to you know, share with the world uh, you know, inspirational uh, you know, leaders and people like you. So thank you very much. Really thank you very much, Steve. Thank you very much, Rebecca.